I want to share some thoughts this morning um, on how, hey Tina, on how, how, God, uh, how God changes us. I want to talk about how God changes us. Some thoughts about, and this really literally can be hours and hours of looking into the scripture and what it, the Lord teaches about how he actually changes us. There's, it's a lot. But I want to hit some high points this morning, some share some thoughts that I think will be a really good encouragement because if we, um, if you have, for instance, if you have a set of keys and you're trying to unlock a door and you, say you have two sets of keys and one set of keys is for your, your um, business, another set of keys is for your home and you're trying to get in your home and you've got your business keys and you're trying to, you know, and you're trying and, and some of the keys almost work and you feel like this has got to be it because it's almost there, you know, it's, but it, it never seems to unlock the door and then you realize, oh wait, these are the wrong keys get your home keys and there's no problem that's kind of the way it is in understanding that's why it's important to understand how God changes us because if you're thinking the way the world thinks because the world's tools to change behavior are very limited they do change behavior but they're very limited and they don't they don't cause the change that God really desires from the inside out. Um, and so if you have more of your thinking, of the world's thinking about how behavior is changed, if you bring that over into the kingdom, into the realm of the spirit, into the heavenly realm, and confuse the ways of men with the ways of God, it's like having the wrong set of keys. See? And, and you wonder, you're wondering why it's not working and, and because it's the wrong set of keys. And, and Jesus said Peter, to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I give you the keys. And what the kingdom of heaven, remember now that, that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is in, in, in reality, it's, it's a reference to another reality. The realm of heaven. It's another reality. That other reality is a reality where God himself is our dad where you are a son and daughter of God, where you are an heir of everything God is and who he is, where you are as righteous as God. All those things we've talked about in union with him. It's another reality that we live out on earth as we walk the earth. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We walk out on the earth visibly what is now a whole nother world inside of us. The kingdom of heaven has come within us through the spirit. So Jesus said to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. I give you the keys to this other reality. This other reality causes uh, change in us, credible change that is actually manifested in our mortal body so that the men, men may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Let your light so shine that men may see. Let that light of that invisible realm, let that light of that invisible reality shine with your deeds that natural men, men of the world may see and glorify your father in heaven. So there's a manifestation of this other realm. We call it change, a changed life. Okay. Now, before I go too far in this, Realize this, saints, that God's not, his number one priority is not simply to change us. Realize that first, because a lot of teachers and preachers come across like the, the ultimate goal of God is to conform you to the image of Christ. And that's what God's all about, is conforming you to the image of Christ. No, 
It's really not. His ultimate goal is to be with you. Just to be with you. Just like you and I are. His number one goal is that he, would re- he removed every obstacle that he could just be with you. And be with me. As in the beginning in the garden, he was with Adam. He just wants to be with us. Number one. That's his heart. A bridegroom being with his bride. A bridegroom doesn't marry a bride so he can change her. His ultimate goal when he dates that girl, his ultimate goal when he's dating that girl is that, oh, I can can change her. That's why I want to marry her, so I can change her. No, he's in love with her just like she is, warts and all. See? Bridegroom and a bride. That's the heart of God, the romance of God. God is in, it's a, it is, as Gene Edwards says, a divine romance. God wants a bride. That's how it ends, the book of Revelation. Behold, I show you the Lamb's wife. Behold, the bride, with all her glory, having the glory of heaven coming down out of heaven. Behold, I show you the Lamb's wife. See, it's a love affair. It's a love affair. Never lose sight of that. That's part of, that's part of the secret to change. So I say that as a, as a footnote because I don't want you to think that, that I'm focusing on how God changes us as if that's the big deal with God. It's, it is a big deal because he wants us to be free. But the big deal really with God is that you and I see that he's crazy about you. Absolutely crazy about you. And he wants to be with you. And he wants you to be with him. Isn't that awesome? So let's pray that God will help us see these things. Lord, Lord, we just thank you that you're opening our eyes to your ways. Your ways are as different from man's ways as the heavens are above the earth. So different. Lord, we pray that you help us see how you actually change people. What are your ways? How does it happen? Help us understand. So we'll use the right keys to open doors that we want opened in our own lives, in our personal lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you for helping us see, by your grace, opening our eyes to these treasures. For all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, first, let me share some thoughts about how, how the world attempts to change people or change behavior and so forth. And the first thing I think we have to realize is these two things. And this is where Jesus started his teaching with Nicodemus. And that is this. There is flesh. There's flesh and there is spirit. In the very beginning, talking to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above, some translations say. Okay. And as I've said before, Jesus did not say that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit 
is both flesh and spirit now. No, he made a clear distinction between that which is a flesh and that which is spirit. Because the truth of the new creation or being born of the spirit is that there's an entirely new creation within a body of flesh. But the person who was once joined to the flesh, joined to the body of the flesh, who is darkened in his understanding, alienated from the life of God, is no longer, no longer exists when you are born of the Spirit. It's an entirely new person, yet still in the body. For the body has been cut away, and the new man has been raised within a new creation. Okay, this, that's what, how the Lord started teaching about how change happens with men. Now, know this, that the new creation, or being born of the Spirit, could not take place, could not happen until Jesus came. It did not happen. It did not happen in the history of the world until he came, until he was, until he offered himself a sacrifice for the sins of the world, a new creation could not be raised. But it was raised at his resurrection in him. So as he said in the scriptures, this day I have begotten thee on the third day when he was raised from the dead. So we have been raised in him. The new creation actually began in him at the resurrection. The last Adam from above, a new creation, the first Adam having been terminated at the cross, all mankind terminated, I shall blot out all flesh as in the flood. That's a reference to the cross. I will blot out all flesh at the flood of Noah. It's a picture of what was coming in the cross, blotting out all flesh. I'll blot out all flesh at the cross and raise a new creation, the resurrection, the last Adam from heaven, a new beginning for all who will believe. Okay. Now, prior to Christ, the Spirit would come upon certain people, like the kings and the prophets. And the Spirit would leave those people sometimes, like it came upon Saul, left Saul. Saul would, would yearn for the Spirit to come back upon him, and he would have David play and worship, and the Spirit would come back and give him comfort. But in those days, they had no regeneration. There was no new creation. There was no regeneration. That was not possible. John tells us in the Gospel of John that the Spirit could not be given in a regenerative way until Christ was glorified. For the Spirit was not yet given until Christ was glorified. And it makes sense if you think about it. God could not join himself to mankind in their sin, in our sin. So he had to totally take care of sin first. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore so that he could join himself to us in the new creation. Okay. If you are confused about this issue right here, or let me say it this way. If you think that there was, new, there was a new creation before Christ, or if you think there were, like Abraham and David were born again believers, it confuses everything. That's what Reformed theology teaches, just so you know. Reformed theology or Calvinism teaches that Abraham was born again, David was born again, uh, all these people, saints of the head faith were born again, and that it basically, it so dilutes the work of Christ as if it's, like a, like it's almost like a rubber stamp that, yeah, he, God had to go through the, the, the cross and the resurrection, but they already had this before Christ. So just so be aware, Reformed theology teaches that regeneration took place, has always taken place. And the reason why they teach that is because in their theology is the teaching that you cannot believe, you cannot have faith unless you're born again. And of course, we know Hebrews 11 has the 
the hall of faith of all the people of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Samuel, all these people of faith in the Old Testament. So in order to be consistent with their theology, they have to say, well, these people must have been born again because our theology says you can't have faith, you can't believe unless you're regenerated. It's a, it's a, it's a warped teaching, in my opinion. Now, why do they say that? Why do they say, why do they say that, that you have to believe before you're, I mean, you have to be regenerated or born again before you believe? It's because they make faith a work. They make faith a legalistic, meritorious work. They think that's something that, that no, we can't say that, God, that man can believe because then man can take credit for his faith. No. That's confusing. Paul says, are we saved by a law of works? He says, nay, but by a law of faith. He puts works and faith on opposite sides of the table because it is not a meritorious work to simply believe that God has worked. You see? To simply believe that God has done all the work is not something you can pat yourself on the back with. It's a response to what God has done. It's very confusing. You've got to be aware of Reformed theology, Calvinism, is, in my opinion, twisted. And so twisted that it confuses the two covenants to where those who had law... That's why they teach that law is still part of the Christian life. Because it was part of the Christian life before. Because they see those believers... As Christians, as born-again Christians, Abraham, they were, he was a born-again Christian. I mean, it's confusing. It's, that's, it's not, it's, that's not what it was. That's why when those early saints, those, those saints died, they didn't go to heaven. They descended to Sheol. They could not enter heaven. If they were born again, they'd have gone to heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. They were not new creations. They descended. Everybody descended to the Abraham's bosom, into Sheol awaiting the Christ who would come the day he died. He would descend, as he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is another word for Abraham's bosom or a place of enclosure and protection for the, for the dead. Now, in that place of the dead, there was a division, a great division, Jesus said, and there were those who died in faith, those who had faith in their heart, and those who died without faith. But they didn't know exactly what they were supposed to believe in detail, but they, had, they died. God, who knows the heart, sees faith. And that's why it's called Abraham's bosom, the father of faith. So when, so when Christ descended, he came to those who, God who sees the heart, knows they would believe if they heard the gospel. And they went, my God, you know, the half has not been told. And they basically, he took the captivity captive, the scripture says. He released them from Sheol. He goes, I have the keys of Hades. Hades is just the Greek word for Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word. I had the keys of Hades and death. And he took them out of there and released them from Sheol. But they never entered heaven because no man, Jesus said, no man has ever entered heaven but the Son of Man who descended from heaven. Isn't that awesome? He told Nicodemus, no man has ever gone to heaven. What about Elijah? Wasn't he taken up with chariots of fire? Yes, but you know where he was brought real fast? He wasn't brought to heaven. Jesus knows what he's talking about. No man has ever entered heaven, the Son of God said, except the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. He was taken in a whirlwind to Sheol, to Abraham's bosom. Well, what about Moses? Moses was there too, in Abraham's bosom. That's why he appeared. Elijah and Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, awaiting the the work that would release them from Sheol. Talking about his soon exodus. It, said, it says in the Hebrew, exodus. So, it's just very important to see the, the awesome 
You see, you see how important this is? You see the clarity, how God wants us to have clarity about the work of Christ? Because otherwise there's a confusion about, you know, how all this works out, how all this applies to our, to our life in terms of how change happens. Okay. Well, first, let's look at this. Let's look at the flesh. Before the Spirit of God came, before the, the work of Christ, in the flesh, you had man who did not have the Spirit. I like that phrase in the book of Jude where it says there are those who have not the Spirit. The people of, in the world have not the Spirit. The world does not have the Spirit. We did not have the Spirit until we were born of the Spirit. We came into this world born in iniquity, the Scripture says, of the flesh, born of the flesh, and we did not have the Spirit of God. We, we received the Spirit as a gift when we believed the gospel, when we heard what Jesus did. We received the Spirit of God in us. But the world knows not, knows not the Spirit, has not the Spirit. So the world is limited in its tools to modify behavior of fallen man. And they tend to use um, things like you know, showing consequences, focusing on consequences to your actions. Because if I can focus on consequences of your actions, then maybe you'll see that you're hurting people. And if you see you're hurting people, maybe you'll regret it and be remorseful. And maybe you'll stop doing it. You'll see you're hurting people if you see the consequences. And, if, and, and it's, not, it's not that there's no value in that. There's some value in that. Like Paul says, there's some value in physical exercise. I mean, there's some value in that. But if you think about what they're really doing, what they're trying to do, that's why God says he takes no pleasure in burnt offerings and he takes no pleasure in, you know, this, the law. He takes no pleasure in that covenant, he, Psalm 51. David is yearning for what you and I have now. He's, God, you take no pleasure in this stuff. This is just outward p- pressure to modify behavior. God, what you really want is a, a new heart. Give me a new heart, Lord. Create in me a new heart, a willing spirit. Create, 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 create. That's what God wants. Create in me a new heart. Remove my transgressions from me completely. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, as David said in Psalm 51, because that's, that was the case in the old days. Spirit would come, sometimes go back. But you never hear the Scripture teach in the New Covenant believer saying, uh, any fear of the Spirit leaving, it's a whole different work of God. It's a new creation. It's a union that's taken place. Okay. So in the, in the world's way of modifying behavior, whether it's the military, whether it's the AA meetings, whether it's the DUI school, whether it's the, the public schools, whether it's the whatever it is, they're trying to show you consequences and hopefully create remorse and regret so you don't do those things to hurt people. What they're actually doing is trying to... Um, trying to recreate or trying to create they're trying to create or fabricate love they're trying to love cares love cares about consequences love regrets when it hurts love doesn't want to hurt anybody love is responsible love is responsible love does all all those things that the world is trying to get fallen man to do with fear of judgment or fear of regret. or That's why the scripture says there are the judges and the law is there, not in the law itself. It's not there for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, that they might fear and not do evil. 
The scripture says that the, God has given the judges a sword so that those who do evil might be afraid, for they bear not the sword in vain. The judgment will fall in this realm, in this world, to restrain evil, to hold back evil. And the law was given, well, let me say this. So, in, in essence, what all of this is trying to do, the world is, the, the, the tools of the world are all geared to get people to act lovingly. Whereas the way of God is to deposit into us the love of God. Over here, they are not a partaker of the divine nature, the divine nature. Over here, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Hold hold that. Okay, thanks, bud. We are partakers of the divine nature. The, The scripture says the love of God has been spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So, the keys used here to modify behavior in the world, keys of fear of judgment, fear of punishment, uh, regret, remorse, consequences, all these things. If we take this, these tools and bring them over into the spiritual realm, we've got the wrong keys. That's why you don't hear Jesus saying to a woman caught in the very act of adultery, You don't hear him saying, do you know how many people you hurt? Do you realize how serious this is? Do you you know how you've offended God and man? Do you, you know, he he didn't use the tools of man to modify her behavior, bringing guilt or shame or condemnation or fear, uh, all these things. And 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 the stones were ready to fly. Man's way of curbing bad behavior. An example, that you do this, you act like her, you end up like her, stoned to death. That's all man has. That's all man has, and that's all, and God has set that up. It's good. That's why the law is good. It's good for the unrighteous. It's good for the world, the fallen world. Without it, we would, we would not be able to even meet here. Mobs would come through here. There would be no order. It'd be chaos. It's a good thing for fallen man to have law and order so that we can live in peace, but it's not for you. You live in in love and you therefore you violate no law when you walk in love paul says you fulfill all law he goes he goes thou shalt not kill thou shalt not steal romans 14 if there be any other law paul says it is fulfilled in this one word love so with the divine nature filling us the love of god filling us we end up doing what the world is trying to get people to do and you don't have to worry about their their tools But if you don't understand this, the way of God is so different from man's way, then you'll bring in condemnation and shame into this realm and try to change your brother and your sister in Christ with guilt and shame. And it actually works against the very work of God. For the law is the very strength of sin, Paul says. It actually gives strength to sin in the flesh, that whole mentality. But an awakening to a new reality brings life. And peace and the power of God and the love of God. Paul says if you just get a, a revelation of the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of the love of God for you personally, if you just get a glimpse of that, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. The world can't do that. 
It's a revelation of his love, which comes to the cross. For hereby now we perceive the love of God and that he gave himself for us. The Spirit of God takes that work of Christ and opens our eyes to the the personableness of how much God loves me, loves us. And we're filled with the fullness of God. We find another dynamic working within us that causes us to want to love God back. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. And then we begin to flow with that love that is being revealed to us and we love him back and we love our neighbor because we see that he also loves my neighbor as he loves me. See, the law on this, the law in the flesh, the, the whole realm of the law is for the flesh. It's for the world. It's for the natural world. The whole realm of the law. That's why it says, if Jesus were on earth, Hebrews says, if Jesus were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Because on earth, there's a, a different covenant at work. The, on earth, in the natural, there's the covenant of law. He is not on earth. He is in the heavens. He is of a superior priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And because he sits in the heavens, his priesthood is over, superior to Levi's priesthood of the earth. And therefore, because Le- Melchizedek is over Levi and because the heavens were before the earth, his priesthood extends into the heavens and into the earth itself. But he sits in the heavens not on earth. Awesome. Where you are from, seated with him in heavenly places now, born of him under another priesthood. But the flesh, the, the natural way to modify behavior, whether it's the military, you know, whatever, it works outwardly. You can see people change their behavior, but it's not what God really is desirous of because you can have some Marine that is, you know, makes up his bed and takes orders and very disciplined and works hard, but just as mean inside as it can be with an evil heart. Romans 2 says that we all have the law of God written in our hearts. Now, this is interesting because Romans 2, in the context there, he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. He's trying to, Paul is laying down the, the, foundation for this argument that the Jew can't boast that they're righteous just because they have the law because they broke it and the Gentile can't boast that they're 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 out, they're off the hook because they don't they didn't have the law Paul says no you're on the hook too because it's written in your heart and the phrase written there in your heart is not a reference to the Hebrew phrase of the the new covenant being written in the hearts of the new creation it's a reference to Jews had the law written on tablets of stone Gentiles, Paul's just alluding to that writing to a writing within them. It's a reference to the natural law creation that came through creation, through the fall, through the knowledge of the good and evil tree that we all partook of through Adam and Eve. So the knowledge of good and evil or the law written in the hearts is what he's referring to there. He could have said the law is written in your evil heart or the law is written in your fallen heart because that's what he's talking about. All men have the knowledge of good and evil from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil written in, inside of them. That's why when the Jew was given the law, thou shalt not kill, it was no surprise. I mean, it was no revelation. Or thou shalt not steal, they, they go, yeah, you're right. But what God did, he heightened what was inside of man through the Jewish people. He heightened it that their conscience would be heightened to prepare them for a revelation of grace because man 
without a heightened revelation of the holiness of God, would think that they could get by and do this on their own. But the Jew was prepared by God specifically to show that, that they are not good, none, none good, no, not one. And in that covenant, they, he added the temple, the priesthood, and the sacrifices to prepare them for the coming of the real temple, the real priest, and the real sacrifice. You see? But we all have an understanding. That's why little kids three years old will be angry and say, it's not fair. He took my toy. It's not fair. Where did he get a sense of fairness? That's pretty complex. A sense of fairness and justice in a baby? Yes, because it's all from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, and that's what the world has to work with. That's all the, tr- the that tree is all the world has to work with and fear of consequences and fear of trying to manufacture love. Or, or at least try to duplicate what love would do through pressure, through outward pressure and, and fear and so forth. God's way, on the other hand, God's way is not to work with the flesh, but to replace it. That's why he said that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It is his way is to create a whole new creation that has a whole new nature, the divine nature of love, of his love. Now, it is all about saints, saints. It's all about the spirit. Those are the keys. Those are the keys. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You and I all have changes we want to make in our lives. We, we, we have, we're all dealing with the flesh in different ways that we wish I would get free of this. I would be better in this. I would reflect more of Jesus in this. We, that's, that's part of the journey. We have this treasure in weak earth and vessels, and all of us want to manifest more brightly who God is, loving our spouse, loving our children, loving our friends, being a better friend. All, whatever it is, we all, wanna, we, we all want this desire that's inside of us to be more like him. It's a desire he placed in us. For God is at work in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So that's a, it's an awesome divine work that's inside of us that wants to be like him. But don't lose sight, saints, that the way to this grow, growing manifestation of who you already are, and that's a key phrase, a growing manifestation of who you already are. You're like a fruit tree that's bearing oranges. You don't become an orange tree the moment you f- an orange appears on the tree. You are an orange tree in the seed. And that seed begins to manifest visibly over time. But it's an orange tree all the way through. All the way through. Some will bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. But they're all his trees. They're all good trees. Make the tree good, Jesus said to the Pharisee. Make the tree good and you'll have good fruit. So keep in mind the ways of God so that you have the right keys. We lose sight sometimes, I think, on the, the, the necessity of the Spirit to bring to pass all our desires. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. The beginning of stirring up the gift of the Spirit within you is just the the recognizing and the acknowledging that He's there. 
stir up the gift of the Spirit that is within me. How do I stir up the gift of the Spirit? How do I, how do I, because you've, you've all, we've all had moments when the Spirit just overwhelmed us. And you couldn't sin if you wanted to. You couldn't act selfish if you wanted to. You couldn't do an evil deed if you wanted to because you're so full of God. The Spirit, so full of, in you, you just love everybody. You forgave like that, easy offenses, no problem. You're just overwhelmed with, that's the Spirit. That's His power. And it's in all of us, but sometimes it needs to be stirred up. Sometimes it needs to be remembered. And one of the keys to stirring up the Spirit of God in us is simply remembering the truth. Remembering the truth. Keep in mind that which was proclaimed to you in the beginning, Paul said. Paul said, show me a a Christian who's not bearing fruit. I'll tell you a Christian who has forgotten, forgotten that he was once purged from all his sins. He's forgotten that he's righteous. He's forgotten that he has no sin. That God is not imputing any sin against him. He's forgotten that he was cleansed once at the cross. He's forgotten. Peter says, remember, remember, remember. James says, show me a man who, who, who looks in a mirror and forgets what his face looks like. He goes, that's like a man who, for, who looks in the spiritual mirror of the gospel and walks away and forgets who he is. I'll show you a man who's not going to be strengthened in what he, what he does for God. He'll be a hearer, hearer of the word but not a doer because he forgets. He forgets. Another, there's the key. He forgets. He forgets his face. He forgets who he is. But you show me a brother who remembers his spiritual face He remembers he's a new creation, that he's a son of God, he's an heir of God. I'll show you a man, James says, who's empowered, blessed in his deeds. Because he's he's remembering. Faith arises. Faith, faith, faith. Jesus said it was just as simple as this. He said, he who believes on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He who believes on me. It's very simple. He who believes on me shall flow out of his innermost being rivers of living water. And those rivers of living water carry us to our destiny, carries us to be the people, we, the people we already are in him. For we have been created new in him. And as we behold him, his love for us, and this reality, we are transformed in our minds, renewed in our minds from glory to glory as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Isn't that Awesome. So just to wrap it up, again, as I said, this is hours and hours of, of explaining, I think, teaching, showing how there's the way the flesh, how men in the world try to manipulate and, and um, modify behavior in the flesh, and then how God brings forth real change in the spirit. But my heart this morning is just to encourage all of us to remember the keys, the right keys. And don't take the world's tools to try to change yourself or change others. From the natural perspective, law was given to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which man could not do. From the Spirit's perspective, A new commandment was given, and it is this. Believe that God 
loves you with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. Believe that he loves your neighbor as yourself. Believe. Not that we first loved him. He first loved us. It's a new dynamic. It's a whole new way of living, and it's a new way of relating to other people. And you will be a catalyst for change in, in other people as we walk in his ways. Releasing people from shame, releasing them from regret, releasing them from fear of consequences or judgment, bringing them this, this incredible fresh wind. If I had to describe his way, I would say it's like after a dry, hot summer day with no rain, a hazy, hot day, not even a blue sky, hazy and hot, muggy and dry. His way is a a storm that comes through and cleanses and the rain and the leaves turn a bright green and then there's a cool breeze that blows and the clouds part and there's a crystal blue sky with a freshness and coolness in the air that's his way it's completely different it's life and as as we just rest in his way good fruit will follow a good tree just as any fruit follows the tree that it comes from. Anyway, so I just want to encourage you to to refocus, maybe, to remember that it's all about the Spirit doing this in us and not us doing it in ourselves or in other people. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Awesome. Lord, thank you for helping us see these ways, your ways. Thank you for encouraging us, for there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your way is a way of rest. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray for all of us, our brothers, my brothers and sisters, and for myself, Lord, I pray that we would remember It is by your power and your power alone that we can walk in your ways. For as we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For it is just a matter of the Spirit living your own life through us, Lord. Thank you for this awesome understanding of your ways. Help us be catalysts to others of change. Help us give others the right keys to unlock doors that have been locked for years, addictions broken, habits broken, fears broken, all these chains broken, prison doors opened because of the right set of keys in Christ. Thank you, Father. Blue skies. Blue skies. Amen.